Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. If there's one common thread, it might be that men perceive church as too feminine. We have to be aggressive in the world when it's appropriate. We are warriors. One, two, three. Warriors! You are a real man when you commit to study God's word, and you commit to being conformed and transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's the biblical perspective on being a man. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. As goes the Supreme Court, so goes the church. This is Wretched Radio, the president of the United States promising to nominate a new Supreme Court justice based on not qualifications, not experience, not education, but on her gender and the color of her skin. You... I suspect heard that and went, uh, wait a second, at the very least, that's contrary to what Martin Luther King Jr. said, that we do not judge people based on the color of their skin, but by the, the content, the quality of their character. That notion has been kicked to the curb for something we know as identity politics. That's right. Identity politics appears to be alive and well. And whilst you and I can look at what the president is attempting to do and mock that, it would be pretty easy, for instance, to say, I think personally we need a Supreme Court judge who's at least six feet, five inches tall so that they can understand and represent me better. You would think that that's preposterous. And so, too, is the notion of nominating somebody based on their gender and skin color. And yet, this to me is a ultimate example of a culture who does not understand how to read. Now, I'm not saying they can't open up a book and make their way through it line by line, but how to understand what they're reading When you read the Constitution, what matters? When you read a law, what matters? Is it your gender or the color of your skin that helps you to understand what the original author intended? Or is it based on knowledge and understanding of the legal language and understanding of context and time and what was happening when the document was written. All of those things need to be considered so that we can interpret laws correctly. Gender and skin color have nothing to do with that process, but they do have something to do with the contemporary notion that we need somebody who looks like me in order to give a favorable rending and a correct application of the law so that I can have a bit of a voice in this. Well, just from a legal standpoint, the Supreme Court is not a representative body. It is a body of judges who are supposed to judge blindfolded, not looking at people's skin color, not rendering verdicts based on who they think that this ruling might favor, but simply based on what the law says. We hear what the president is doing and think, well, this is just, this is kind of not helpful. And yet, that is precisely what is happening in the church. Identity hermeneutics. In the world, we have identity politics nominating somebody 
who looks like me. We need to have a skinny person from my district. Otherwise, I won't feel like I'm represented. That's identity politics. Identity hermeneutics is interpreting the Bible based on your identity, not on your skills, not on your education, not on your experience, not on your understanding, but simply based on your status as defined by intersectionality. Specifically, if you are an oppressed people group in the eyes of the culture, then you need to be represented when it comes to interpreting the Bible. Otherwise, you are going to get an oppressed interpretation and you won't have an interpretation that works for you. Do you see how identity politics and identity hermeneutics are really the same bad idea simply applied in a different context? If I said I was reading the book of Jonah and uh, I got to tell you, I'm not real fond of the traditional interpretations. We need somebody to interpret this story who is really tall because I think, I think that Jonah was spit out of the mouth of the great big fish uh, because he was short. And tall people couldn't have been spit out, which clearly is discriminatory. Therefore, I need somebody to represent me to interpret it so that I can value from it, so that I can learn from it. No doubt you think height, weight, the color of hair, shoe size would play zero part in the interpretive process. And yet that's exactly what identity hermeneutics seeks to do. We are not just seeing identity politics in our culture. We are seeing it in the church. Brad Klassen, he's a prof at the Master's Seminary, about a year ago, you may recall, wrote an article called Identity Hermeneutics, the obsession with personal identity and the distortion of the truth. What is the definition of personal identity? Glad you asked. People are convinced that what qualifies or disqualifies a person to lead a corporation, to teach second graders, or to hold public office is not ability, achievement, or expertise, but one's ethnic, social, or sexual identity. That is personal identity. Headline, identity hermeneutics, the obsession with personal identity and the resulting distortion of the truth. Here is what a definition of identity politics is refers to the categorization of people according to the class or the marginalized and the class of the privileged. So if you happen to be somebody who is deemed privileged, then you can't interpret this rightly without bias. You will automatically, unknowingly, imperceptibly interpret the Bible in a way that helps you maintain power and position. That is identity politics and identity hermeneutics, if you don't mind me saying so. Hermeneutics, if you recall, is the art and science of interpreting scripture. It is understanding the original context, the original audience, the original author, the purpose of the letter, the language in which it was written, understanding where it fits in the overarching narrative of the Bible, and then interpreting what the original author intended. 
This is the principle of authorial intent versus reader response. What does it say to me? A number of years ago, you may recall Sunday school changing a bit. The teacher used to get up, open up the Bible, and work through the text and would perhaps engage the class to ask questions for understanding, if they had a different interpretation themselves, why that may or may not be correct. But that started to change when we saw Sunday school start to, teachers start to ask questions like, so what does the text say to you? That's when the door was kicked open. When we forgot about classical, grammatical, historical, authorial intent, interpretive processes to understand the intention of the original author, we cracked open the hermeneutical door to get to the point of identity hermeneutics. In order for this to be understood rightly, it must be interpreted by somebody who possesses a gender, sexuality, or skin color. That is where we currently are. Biblical hermeneutics is the knowledge, the knowledge that is gained from biblical hermeneutics is mediated not through ecstatic experience or extrasensory perception, but through human language. And it has to be interpreted correctly to understand what God intended it to say. Identity hermeneutics refers to the use of personal identity as a primary principle for the interpretation of God's word. That's what President Biden is doing. But it's not just in the political realm. It's also in the realm of the church. A few months ago, had a conversation with a buddy who was pastoring at a church that was very ecumenical. And now it's a body that has agreement on a theological statement that is robust and sound. How did that happen? And his surprising answer was hermeneutics. Once we got on the same page hermeneutically, then overall we started to agree more and more and more. But without a correct understanding of hermeneutics, well, we were just at odds. There were cliques, there were camps, there were factions, there were people with preferences. There was the popular kid, there was the unpopular group over there, there's the athletes, there's the cheerleaders. But hermeneutics brought them together. If you know anything about critical theory, you know that it is its intention is to separate and divide. And that is where we get identity politics. It separates and divides that that you've got people. If you've got a male on the bench and you're a woman, you're not being represented. So we need women. Do you hear the division? But forget about the world for a moment. That is precisely what the church is currently doing. If you don't want your local church to be divided, might I suggest we abandon identity hermeneutics and we get back to grammatical, historical hermeneutics. This is Wretched Radio. Permit me to introduce you to Brie and Salvation Dominoes pre-born style. When one person gets saved, they have that burning desire to just make him known the same way that was made known to them. And then it's just this domino effect. Bree currently volunteers at a pre-born life center. How did she get saved? From a friend whose mother got saved at, you guessed it, 
a preborn life center. Why? Because preborn, it is indeed about saving babies' lives via $28 ultrasounds, but it is also sharing the gospel so that moms and dads get saved. And look at the domino effect. Would you please consider supporting preborn centers with as many free ultrasounds as you can? $28 for an ultrasound, 80% of the time saves a life. Learn more at preborn.org slash wretched. It's another day and another wretched radio. Hey, thank you for listening and supporting our efforts to reach the world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're appreciative of your support and time and never take either for granted. Both are valuable resources that we're all called to steward carefully. And considering our time, I know as truth seekers, sometimes we can have the tendency to shy away from wasting it and spending a lot of it on things that are fixed. Fictional. I know that's certainly true of my walk. I've never given a lot of my time over to reading fiction. That is until Todd recommended a book by Randy Alcorn called Safely Home. As I began to read Safely Home, honestly, I couldn't put it down. And though the study and characters are fictional, the depiction of life for Christians in communist China is very much accurate. This book will help reorganize your theology and enhance your walk. Grab your copy of Randy Alcorn's Safely Home now in the Wretched store at wretched.org. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Hey, Tomorrow Club supporter, this message from Paul Marty, the director of the Tomorrow Clubs, is just for you. You know, it's been more than 25 years now since my wife Cindy first brought leaders and kids together for the very first Tomorrow Club. Hundreds of thousands of lives have been touched. We're grateful for all the ways you help kids in forsaken places learn to follow Jesus. Thank you for your support of the Tomorrow Club's $30 a month Disciples 30 Kids in Eastern Europe and now in Africa, where Tomorrow Clubs anticipates they could be opening up 100 new clubs in a year. Would you please consider becoming a Tomorrow Club supporter? Kids clubs that meet in forsaken places, they get loved on, they hear the gospel, they memorize Bible verses, and they're getting saved. To support your own Tomorrow Club, please visit tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Important dates in Christian history. 70 A.D. Titus destroys Jerusalem and the temple. The separation between Christianity and Judaism deepens, and Christians spread throughout the Roman Empire, spreading the gospel as they go. God uses tragedy to forward his great commission. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Loser! The host is a total loser! This is Wretched Radio. Like a child who doesn't know how to wield a bat when the ball is sitting on the tee, flailing away. That describes me. Here we are talking about grammatical historical hermeneutics. We happen to have a resource that teaches grammatical historical hermeneutics. And I didn't mention it. Oh, the shame. The shame. You can find Herman Who available at wretched.org. And we might need it now more than ever, although, frankly, we've always needed it a lot because the world will invade the church. Oh, how it makes its way into ecclesiastical matters, how we can be so influenced 
as we breathe cultural air, we digest their novelties, their pragmatic notions, and we bring them straight into the church. And so it is with identity politics. It's in the church. You say that we don't have politics in the church. Well, depending on how your church is structured, you might. But this is identity hermeneutics. It's the same principle just manifested in our realm as opposed to the world's realm. It is a bad idea for culture. It is a worse idea for the church. Why? Because the church is more important than the world. Therefore, this is exceedingly important to understand what you might be confronting in your church as people try to propose, we need to do a Bible study by this woman so that the women can have a Bible study that they can understand. Hold on. Hold on. Wait a second. What bridge did we just cross there? Can a woman have particular insights into the an audience of all females? Of course. Of course. And that is why Paul says that a woman should be instructing other women because they do have a particular insight. Specifically, he puts it in the context of home, that, that, that there are women teaching other women how to do this exceedingly important task biblically. But that is far different than understanding the text. Helping the interpreter understand the text because you share the same gender, I don't have a problem with that. But that's radically different than understanding the text through the lens of the audience. And that is exactly what identity hermeneutics does. You've got to look like the audience, specifically the audience of the oppressed. Otherwise, you can't get it right. Well, that's wrong. Another term that Brad Klassen from Master Seminary coins in his article about identity hermeneutics is standpoint epistemology. Epistemology is the study of what is true, what is real, understanding the universe, knowledge, gaining it, how we know what we know. Standpoint epistemology is what we know based on where I stand and where I come from. Now, if you have indeed studied grammatical historical interpretation, then you maybe are thinking right now, hey, wait a second, um, aren't I supposed to, in, in, in some sense, uh, apply the text to my setting? Yes, but that's radically different than interpreting the text itself because it feels like it applies to you or you've come up with that interpretation because of the way that you look or the way that the Bible study teacher or interpreter looks. Standpoint epistemology is understanding knowledge from my perspective. If, if you can keep the idea, however you remember things in your brain, that the Bible and a correct understanding of it stands way on, it's at the peak of the mountain. It trickles down to all sides of the mountain to be applied in every situation, but it never changes the interpretation of the text. You keep that straight, you'll understand why standpoint epistemology is so bad and you don't want it in your church. 
Perhaps also, if you've studied grammatical, historical, interpretive processes, you know that the first step in interpreting the text, okay, if one of the one of the first steps, you want to gain knowledge, you want to understand the language, you want to do your research, etc., before you open up a particular book of the Bible to start jumping in to understand what's going on, but... Before you can read the Bible, you've got to lose it, lose it, lose it. You've got to get rid of your pre-understandings. You've got to lose the things that I have experienced through life. We do talk about this in Herman Who, available at wretched.org. You have so many pre-understandings with so many influences, how you were raised, how many siblings you had, what TV shows you watched, how much money your family had, where you live, what the weather was like. All of those influences, they get into you. And the job of the biblical interpreter is not to say, I can interpret this for this group of people better than that group of people because of my background. But that's precisely what we're doing in the political realm, and that is ex- exactly what identity hermeneutics is. That is standpoint epistemology. One of the first roles of the biblical interpreter is not to look at their gender, but to forget their gender. It's not to look at what zip code they grew up in, even what their sexual preference is. You just that just gets set aside. Why? Because it's not what I bring to the party in understanding the text. It's understanding what the author wanted to tell us. Standpoint epistemology from Brad Klassen. Underpinning identity hermeneutics is standpoint epistemology. This theory teaches that every person interprets the world from a particular standpoint loosely shared by others like him or her, according to ethnicity, economic status, gender, and the like. And this interpretation becomes distorted in proportion to the advantages the person enjoys. Apart from an intentional effort to acknowledge and renounce such power, one always views the world through the powers, this power's distorted lens. So if you are identified as, for instance, a white heterosexual, cisgendered, whatever the terms are these days, I can't even keep up. Male, you don't have a chance to understand the Bible. You can't, you can't read it rightly. You need somebody from the oppressed class. Because from their standpoint, they can tell you what you need to know. Conversely, marginalized groups because they do not possess such advantages are situated to view the world through a less opaque lens thus any successful study of reality must begin from the standpoint of the marginalized that standpoint epistemology integrating this epistemology into the study of scripture proponents of identity hermeneutics require that those they deem privileged must give deference to the standpoints of those deemed disadvantaged. So you're you're in a Sunday school class, and you happen to be in it with Brad Klassen, the professor at Master's Seminary. And you're sitting next to somebody who is, pick whatever, whatever skin color, gender, sexuality. Do you know who can interpret and understand the Bible better? It's not the seminary prof. He's disqualified because of his privilege. 
It's the one who perhaps has no education regarding theological matters, has never understood hermeneutics. We give deference to that interpretation. Remember how this started? What does that say to you? Because the interpretations of the disadvantaged are the least biased, most truthful, and closest to reality, the privileged interpreter will never arrive at the truth unless he openly disavows his advantage and submits to the views of the disadvantaged. Do you see how this divides? This is a fruit of critical theory, which is built to divide. Can you feel it? Dividing the nation? Can you feel it? Dividing your church? So how do you do this? Well, before even approaching the biblical text, the privileged reader must conduct a thorough exegesis of his own identity and acknowledge that he can never rise above his uninterpreted self in his current state. So you got to, rather than studying what's going on in the text, you study yourself to see, whoa, I've got a lot of privileges. I can't possibly get this right. As he comes face to face with his status as an oppressor, he must identify and problematize every advantage he discovers, even those he may not personally enjoy, but which are nonetheless characteristic of his community. Did you know that's what you're supposed to do before you read the Bible? Second, the privileged reader must revere the perspective of the marginalized simply by virtue of their identity. Unless the reader views the biblical text from these marginalized standpoints, you cannot possibly arrive at the truth. What a shame. Now, apparently we can't even read our own Bibles for ourselves anymore to understand what God would teach us. We need to go to somebody who has a lot of intersections who I somehow they possess through experience and the amount of melanin or which chromosomes they possess are the only ones who can understand the Bible. We reject this notion with the Supreme Court and politics. We should doubly reject it inside of the church. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. A man was brutally murdered in Montgomery, Alabama last week while sharing the gospel. Thomas Hand was his name, and his wife and two-year-old son were with him when a teenager approached and shot him. Officials and Han's wife, Christine, who was currently pregnant with a couple's second child, say the incident was a random act of violence. And now an interesting note, Jerry Falwell Jr., former president of Liberty University, along with his wife, are the subject of an article in Vanity Fair. And in fairness, I haven't read the Vanity Fair article, but I have read an article about the article. So I can't 100% say for certain that what's being reported in the article about the article is an accurate and fair representation of what Jerry Jr. actually said. But there are a couple of interesting quotes that I did want to mention in the article about the article. Jerry Jr. says that he has never been a religious person, and it's only because of his last name that people think that. And his wife was quoted as saying that, quote, we had to put on an act. Interesting quotes indeed, but until I read the entire article in Vanity Fair, I'll reserve my judgment, you know, in fairness. And speaking of universities, the University of Nebraska wants the world to know that they are now awake. In a recent announcement by the school, they are going to be doing away with their mascot as he stands now. Herbie Husker, who has been the University of Nebraska's mascot for the last 50 plus years, has historically flashed the OK hand gesture. Well, and now that's racist because somebody decided that it was recently. For the 50 years prior, it wasn't racist, but now 
it is because somebody said it was. And well, obviously it has to be right. And here's a fun one. A member in the Maryland House of Delegates has introduced new legislation that would make it entirely legal for people to murder babies in non-clinical settings. Back alley abortions, essentially, because, you know, that's so safe. I'll let you guess what political party this person belongs to, but they call it the Pregnant Persons Freedom Act. You know, we realize by now people advocating for baby murder have zero care for the babies. But it also seems now that they're starting to show their true feelings, and that is that they don't care for the safety of pregnant women at all either. And speaking of pregnant women, you do know that it's only women who are able to get pregnant, right? I think most people know that, but apparently not all people. iPhone or Apple is releasing new emojis this spring, and part of the new designs, a pregnant man. They say in their statement that it's because pregnancy is possible for some transgender men. It's possible, Apple, because those are actually women who are playing dress up as men. Because men can't get pregnant. They're getting pregnant because they're women. But you know, that is the high-minded thinking of common sense. And obviously, common sense is no longer the narrative society's wanting to push. More Engine Radio, straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible Leviticus is the guidebook for the priests and Levites as they attend to their duties in the temple. In Leviticus, we learn that God is holy, sin is serious, and that God requires a sacrifice for atonement. Thankfully, we have complete atonement in the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And away we go! This is a Wretched Radio bringing you the latest in Christian celebrity news. Yep, we have that category. There are Christian celebrities, and we're going to talk about them. Just like they do on TV and in the tabloids. So that we can enjoy tearing down those we built up. Oh, what a world. Isn't that what Hollywood experiences constantly? The world puts you into the premier position of being a celebrity, all eyes on you, and they love and they adore, but you do something that gets up their nose, or you just keep living and get old, you're out. Now we make fun of you. Now you're fodder. Misstep, we're going to clobber you. That is what the world does. I think we need to do a little better in the church, there's a pretty healthy dose of that going on on the internet. We read just enough, or we see a text or a tweet, and we are off to the races. Now, I am the first to say when somebody who is high profile does something bad, teaches something that is heretical, we should publicly respond to that. But as we do, one of the principles of discernment would be, do I have my facts straight? Do I know what's going on here? Do do I have any understanding of what was behind that comment? If I don't, I need to slow my roll and perhaps not either get critical or get excited. Here is one article that shows how excited we are because we've taken something out of context of the mouth of a famous, I think, I think, I'm not sure, 
but I believe he's calling himself a Christian or at least a big fan of Jesus or at least the concept of Jesus, and that would be Jordan Peterson from the Christian Post. Jordan Peterson, this is the headline. If you did nothing but read the headline, which frankly is what most people do, you're going to get an impression from this. Here it is. The Bible is more than just true. It's the bedrock of civilization. <gasps> he's a Christian. He's a great. He must be. And, and he doesn't believe in mandated vaccines. He's like, he's got to be an evangelical even. No, it means that somebody took one thing that he said, which is an accurate observation that many secular historians have made. And that is Western civilization is built on a book the Bible. It's it's really undeniable. I, I can't, I'm working on a book right now, and I can't remember the quote and the fellow per specifically, but it was a guy who's no fan of Jesus Christ saying, yep, just the same. If I am going to be an historian with integrity, I've got to admit the Bible really did influence a lot. Jordan Peterson said the same thing. It's the bedrock of civilization. <gasps> Oh, Jordan's one of us now. Did you hear the entire interview? If you did, you would have heard what we've shared here on Wretched Radio before, and that is Jordan Peterson's Jungian view of the world. He interprets virtually everything from a filter known as Carl Gustav Jung. He is a psychologist who views everything through a philosophical lens and therefore concludes Jesus doesn't need to exist in order for us to be a fan. You say, how do you get there? The answer is Carl Jung. And that's exactly what Jordan Peterson said throughout this particular interview. He talked about the Bible being the bedrock of Western civilization, but he also said things like, look, we don't even know that the Bible is true. Quote from Jordan Peterson, it isn't that the Bible is true. Okay, wh why wasn't that the headline? <laughs> it isn't that the Bible is true. It's that the Bible is the precondition for the manifestation of truth, which makes, its way, which makes it way more true than just true. It's a whole different kind of truth. And I think this is not only literary the case. Factually, I think it can't be any other way. It's the only way we can solve the problem of perception. Ah, perception. One of his favorite words. He uses it throughout this article. He does not profess faith in Jesus Christ. He does not give any sort of credible confession. Look, we want Jordan Peterson to be saved as much as we want everybody to be saved, but we can't will him into the kingdom because we take something out of context. I'm glad he said it. It just doesn't mean the implications that are being absorbed on the YouTube machine and through social media. Here's another story. Now, this is on the negative side. We might read this headline and go, aha, I knew it. And it might be true. It might ultimately be true. But until at least you and I read the entire Vanity Fair article, I don't think that we should be rushing to a conclusion. Even if you're not a fan of the person, that's just not being fair 
which means it's not being Christian. Headline from, it's too small, I can't read it. Uh, Oh, this is ChristianHeadlines.com. Former Liberty University president Jerry Falwell Jr. tells Vanity Fair he's not, quote, a religious person. See, I know it. I know it. The guy's a phony. Well, he might be, but I don't know it from an article on an article. Did he say some things that are troubling? Yep. Did his wife say things that are troubling? Yes, she did. For instance, she said, now remember, we have zero context for this. She said we we had to put on a show. Oh, so they were actually... They weren't just false converts. They were pretending to be Christians, but they weren't. Hold the phone, Henrietta. I don't, I, don't, I don't know the context of that. And because I don't have access to Vanity Fair and have absolutely no intention of paying to get it, I don't know. I don't know what they meant. I don't know what the context was. But again, what do we see? A headline that just whoop, plucks it out, and I make a conclusion based on a sentence that was uttered by somebody who's famous. That's what the world does. Don't we see those wars going on constantly? The one, it always shocks me. I I, I don't know. I haven't seen one of these probably in a few years, but I went through like a a number of years where I saw this like annually. Look at these celebrities and how old they look. And so they put a picture of the person from the 70s, and then they put a picture of the person current day as if to go, oh, wow, how they've tumbled, which if we could take just a little diversion for a moment, that's the world's message. And it is heard loud and clear. Youth is where it's at, Daddy-O. We'll love you when you're not saggy, but you get wrinkled, you get slow, you get infirm. And we mock you. That is a message that we all receive, don't we? You feel that pressure. You've got to be youthful. You've got to be young. You've got to make sure that your hair doesn't have any gray inside of it. You've got to make sure that you're not losing your hair. You've got to make sure that you wear certain clothes. You've got to make sure that your lips are bulbous enough to perhaps fool somebody into thinking you're 20 when you're actually 60. For the record, nobody ever buys it. We just know that you bought Botox and you bought the lie of the world. There is a dignity in growing old. There is a God delights. And I know God delights in watching Christians age gracefully, becoming increasingly dignified. And God says, those are the ones that should be esteemed, not the whippersnappers. The elderly should be esteemed and looked up to and sought out for great wisdom and advice. The world says, let's make fun of them. You don't want to be that. You want to look hot. That's the message of the world. It's not the message of God. Diversion over. (laughs) Although it's not a bad idea to camp there for a long time, you and I, are living in a world where we don't sit down and read a newspaper anymore. And and I'm not even suggesting that historical newspapers are even entirely accurate. We maybe had journalists who tried to just report the facts, ma'am. But these days, we have journalists that have an agenda. 
and will write headlines, will write the big sensational aspect of an interview, story, or event because it sells, because it forwards their narrative, and it happens in the world constantly. You see it, don't you? It's the difference between CNN and Fox. But let's not think for a second that we don't have that same inclination because we do. And even though I might want to think something great about somebody, I'm not going to make a conclusion based on a clip. And even though I might want to have an aha moment, not as in I discovered something, but aha moment, I, I, I have to practice more grace. I have to put the best construction on everything and wait until I know the facts. Hey, that's what the Proverbs tell us to do, isn't that kooky? This is Wretched Radio. Time. It really is a precious commodity for all of us. We have to be intentional about stewarding our time wisely. And it may be that you have determined that reading a fiction book isn't being a good steward of your time. Well, if I may, not only is reading Randy Alcorn Safely Home worth your time, it is profoundly worth your time and effort to read. And look, don't just take my word for it. Todd says that this book will reorganize your Christian theology and literally enhance your walk. With Safely Home, not only will you find a remarkable story, but you're also going to find a thorough gospel presentation, perfect for believers and non-believers alike. So pick up your copy of Randy Alcorn's Safely Home right now at The Wretched Store. Just log on to wretched.org. That's wretched.org. And see for yourself that reading fiction doesn't have to be a waste of time. It can actually be a blessing to you. Wretched.org. So there you are on your Googler machine trying to find a restaurant. What do you look for? Ratings and reviews. If it gets lots of stars, positive reviews, chances are pretty good you're going to go there. Question, would you be inclined to go to a restaurant that had a 98% approval rating and rave reviews? I suspect you would. MetaShare, Affordable Biblical Health Sharing, has a 98% approval rating. 400,000 members strong, sharing one another's health care bills, saving billions of dollars over the years, saving families on average $500 a month. And 98% of the members of MediShare give it a hearty thumbs up. I encourage you to call them and see if MediShare is right for you and your family. 1-844-34-BIBLE. 1-844-34-BIBLE for MediShare. It's New Year's resolution time. But before you make yours, I have a different type of challenge for you. How about instead of resolving to be a better person this year, you instead commit to leaving a legacy for Christ. And one surefire way you can do just that is by becoming a monthly Wretched Gospel partner. Currently, Wretched Radio and TV is seen and heard on nearly 1,000 stations combined worldwide. The second season of Road Trip to Truth has just been released with season Season 3 in production, solving the God puzzle on its way to 1 million copies distributed and transformed our latest TV series highlighting biblical counseling is set to debut later this year. We're striving to reach people all over the world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and we're only able to do that with the support of our gospel partners. So would you prayerfully consider joining us? Just log on to wretched.org slash donate to get all of the details. Wretched.org slash donate. (laughs) 
hermeneutics. The Bible is not a manual. While it should be read literally, the books fit into a variety of genres, including narrative, poetry, prophecy, and epistle. How we understand and apply scripture begins with identifying what genre we are reading. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Well, this is going to encourage you then. This is Wretched Radio. Before I get to Alistair Begg and his Scottish brogue, would like to talk to you about Ukraine. You say, why are you using your Scottish accent for your Ukrainian comments? Because the accent is pretty much the same. That's the only one I've got. So it really doesn't make much of a difference. No doubt you've been seeing the news. Ukraine potentially under attack. We don't know what Mr. Putin is up to. But I do know this. It causes unrest. And it causes a citizen to be a little bit anxious. And it can also hinder planning. What if this, then that? Should we do this? Should we do that? I bring this up not to discuss geopolitics, whether or not we should go to war. Do we have an interest in Ukraine? But I bring it up because of the Tomorrow Clubs. There are about, are there almost a thousand Tomorrow Clubs in Ukraine? I don't know, it's hundreds of Tomorrow Clubs, whatever. It's a lot. It's kind of ground zero for them. Kids clubs all over Ukraine, poor parts of the country. I don't even know that they have one in Kiev. Maybe they do, but they're predominantly out there in the in the regions where very few missionaries go. The Tomorrow Clubs are there. They gather the kids. They give them treats. And I have to tell you, uh, I'm not a treat fan. <laughs> I don't think we should need Krispy Kremes to lure adults to a Sunday school. It's nice. But when I see these little kids just get the most meager, modest treat, their faces explode with joy. And they learn to love the person now who is going to introduce them to Jesus. That ain't a bad thing. The Tomorrow Club's magnificent ministry. About 30 disciples in each one of these little villages because that's what they do. They disciple them. They don't do run and gun evangelism. They don't do event evangelism. Instead, they disciple these kids. It's it's amazing. Be praying for Paul and Cindy as they lead through that. Be praying for Max, I think, heads up Ukraine. Victor is in Romania. Be Max, be praying for him. Give him wisdom. And for the Tomorrow Club teachers that they would not cancel, be afraid, but would keep gathering them kids together to hear the gospel. If you'd like to support yourself, one of those Tomorrow Clubs, you can do that at tomorrowclubs.orgs slash wretched, tomorrowclubs.orgs slash wretched. Let's get to Alistair Begg, shall we? I did a binge on Alistair Begg over the weekend. You know how that works. You hit one, you find another. And I stumbled into... A magnificent sermon. You will be hearing it soon on Wretched Radio. But it was because I was actually looking for a clip. We've played it here before. I don't think you're going to be bored with this. And the reason I went looking for it was because of this, which was sent to me somehow. (laughs) I don't know. I think Mrs. Friel actually sent this to me. How does the thief on the cross fit into your theology? 
Now, out of the tens and tens of people who listen to this wretched radio program, if you happen to believe that it is faith alone, grace alone, Jesus Christ alone, baptism isn't required, bearing tons of fruit isn't required. No, what's required is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, granted by God himself. So you probably have no difficulties with the thief on the cross, but if you do not have the gospel square, some way or another, the thief on the cross is going to cause you to get a stubbed toe. How does the thief on the cross fit into your theology? No baptism, no communion, no confirmation, no speaking in tongues, no mission trip, no volunteerism, and no church clothes. There are a number of these that become customs. Unfortunately, there is a number of the items in this list that actually become essentials. That if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. Well, what do we do with the thief on the cross who saw Jesus that day in his kingdom? He wasn't able to speak in tongues. He wasn't able to get baptized, which is what many people, especially in the South, teach. You've got to get baptized. Otherwise, that's what the Duck Dynasty people teach. They try to be coy. No hunting pun intended. They try to be coy about it, but... Their church doctrine, and based on the confession of their own mouths, they believe that baptism is a necessity for salvation, and so is doing good stuff to demonstrate you are saved. What do we do with the thief on the cross? He didn't say the sinner's prayer. Well, that's fascinating, isn't it? Because if you listen to Witness Wednesday here on Wretched Radio, you never hear us leading anybody in a sinner's prayer because... While I get it, the individual, the sinner does need to pray. I don't think that it should be led by somebody any more than if you commit adultery. I should come behind you and whisper into your ear what you should say to your wife to be put back into her good graces. I think we should let the person pray. Just let them pray. Let them talk to God. Do they even need to do it in front of you? Of course not. So you perhaps have wondered, why don't they do the sinner's prayer? That's why. And if you believe that the sinner's prayer is a necessity for, that's the way it's got to be done. What do you do with the thief on the cross? He did not offer up a sinner's prayer. Among other things, he was a thief. Jesus didn't take away his pain, heal his body, or smite the scoffers. Yet it was a thief who walked into heaven the same hour as Jesus simply by believing He had nothing more to offer other than his belief that Jesus was who he said he was. No spin from brilliant theologians. No ego or arrogance. No shiny lights, skinny jeans, or crafty words. No haze machine donuts or coffee in the entrance. Just a naked man dying on a cross, unable to even fold his hands to pray. What do you do with the thief on the cross? Without the preaching of the cross, without preaching the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very, very quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. So that to go to the old uh, Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it, 
in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. <laughs> because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense, I can't can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, (laughs) how did that shake out for you? Because you 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 were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You you didn't know a thing about church membership. And and yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What what do you mean you don't know? Well, because I don't know. Well, you know, did you? Excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor ranger. So we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> the guy said, I never heard of it in my life. And and what about let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually in frustration, he says, On on what basis are you here? And he said. The man on the middle cross said, I can come. Amen. Now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. And if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day and every day, then I will find myself beginning to trust myself, trust my experience, which is part of my fallenness as a man. If I take my eyes off the cross... I can then give only lip service to its efficacy while at the same time living as if my salvation depends upon me. And as soon as you go there, it will lead you either to abject despair or a horrible kind of arrogance. Mm. And it is only the cross of Christ that deals both with the dreadful depths of despair and the pretentious arrogance of the pride of man that says, you know, I can figure this out and I'm doing wonderfully well. No, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God the justice satisfied to look on him and pardon me. What do you do with the thief on the cross? It should cause you to love the Lord. That guy didn't deserve to be saved, and neither did we, and yet he did. And it was nothing that he had to do. It's nothing we can do. It's everything that he has done. If you have not been thinking much on the thief on the cross, perhaps today is a good day to remember him as a terrific example of you being saved by grace alone. And until tomorrow, go serve your king. (laughs) 